Flying Bull Productions presents Laugh, Literature, and Film. It is the good stuff. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome to the Mitchville High School Literature and Film Podcast. I'm your host, the L Train. Over there is the co host, Mr. Two Frames Bull. Pleasure as always. And we have a special guest. You might remember him from last year. Or probably not. <laughs> probably not. <laughs> Mr. 3030. <laughs> Mr. D. Daring, our, our um, librarian and fellow movie watcher for this particular movie. We've reeled you in. We've reeled you in to Interstellar. Dun, dun, dun. The movie that we've been talking on and off about for what a year. It was on this um, podcast? our most anticipated movie of 2014. And how'd that work out for you? Well, that's an interesting question. I'm going to pose it to you guys in a different way. So these are two New York film critics, uh, one writing for the New York Post and one for the New Yorker. Lou Lumenick of the New York Post says of Interstellar. Christopher Nolan's new film starring Matthew McConaughey and uh, uh, Ferris Bueller. Ah, you went there. (laughs) Who is it? Anne Hathaway. Anne Hathaway. And uh, Jessica Chastain, Michael Caine, a few of those guys. Topher Grace. Yeah. Casey Uh, Affleck. A cascading. John Lithgow. Cast of, oh yeah. He might have been my favorite character in the movie. Oh, and then also some child actors and uh, a few other Gyasi, I think that there was another guy in there, a, a red shirt type from uh, Star Trek, had to go off to the planet. Oh, uh, sorry. Wait a minute. Spoilers. Yeah. We have to hold back on spoilers for a minute, I think. But anyway, Lulu Menick, New York Post, said that this was a soulful, must-see masterpiece. One of the most exhilarating film experience so far this century. That's Lulu Menick, New York Post. Whereas David Denby, film critic for The New Yorker, he said that this was a redundant puzzle. 167 minutes long makes you feel virtuous for having sat through it rather than happy that you saw it. Ouch. Where do you stand, Mr. 3030, on Interstellar? I think the first one is a little. Your first reviewer is a little, a little generous. I think okay. the uh, as far as being the the of the of the century, it's right. it's, it's not that. Uh, I thought it was a good story. I thought it it, uh, it was a. It, it, and when you talk about the hundred hundred and sixty seven minutes long, mm-hmm. I it didn't feel that long to me. The the, the previews were much worse as as well as, as well as the ads at the right. uh, at the at the cinema. Uh, AMC is where we saw it. Establishment, not uh, to name names. Oh yeah, but uh, but I thought I thought the story moved along well. I thought it, uh, it it was it was it was okay. I didn't think it was uh, I didn't think it was you know over the top great, but I didn't think it was a real dog either. All right, how's that for a standing in the middle of the road situation? Well, I think you're more towards the positive side. I am. Did you I enjoy am. the experience? I seems did. like Mr. Uh, Two Frames. Well, here's the fanboy take. Ooh. I think this was a wonderful film, and I think one of the one of the overlooked points with this film is that Chris Nolan gave us a big budget science fiction movie that has no fanboy base. This isn't Star Wars, Star Trek. This is completely original, and I think it has broad appeal, which is very impressive for a science fiction movie. This is much like what Nolan did with Batman. Before this time, before Batman came out, superhero movies were considered to have a very small target audience, and now they're the most mainstream movies we find. Yeah, arguably that has less to do with Batman and a whole lot more to do with Marvel. Oh, I think Batman Begins and The Dark Knight really set the table for what you can do with superheroes. Yeah, all right. Maybe also to some extent uh, the first X-Men movie. Right. Not, but, not being a fanboy, I would say that the... But Nolan has gone after two genres that before him were not very well respected. And he's made both of them very respectable. Eh, all right. <laughs> <laughs> Do you I, disagree? 
I understand your take on that, but you had Batman and Superman long before Nolan was on the scene as a filmmaker. True, you had Batman the right. TV show. You no, had you had you had Batman and Robin. 1989, you had Batman mm-hmm. by uh, the, Tim Burton. Probably, arguably the 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 best superhero movie up until that time. And then in the 78 or 77, you had uh, Superman, which I'm sure was in the top, in the box office for a number of years. Yeah, and that, that did well, but then those died. They spawned sequels that got progressively worse. Right, but that's just a function of, of sequels. And they're also You, you could say gaps. the same thing about Spider-Man. You could say the same thing about X-Men movies now. You could say the same thing. I mean, there may have been a slight resurgence with Iron Man 3, but Iron Man 2 is much less of a movie than Iron Man. So, I, I don't know. Uh, you have an, you posit an interesting theory. One that we can delve into more. <laughs> Perhaps. Um, I also think Nolan is a very uh, young filmmaker. He was born in 1970, so that makes him only, what, 44? So, really, he has 20 more solid years of filmmaking at the very least. Well, I Possibly mean, quite a bit more. Yeah, Woody Allen's in this, what, late or early 80s at least I think mm-hmm. and Scorsese's you know, up there there are directors Kubrick he did 2001 Space Odyssey early in his career I think that was like 1960 Steven Spielberg with no, close 69. accounts 69 2001 wasn't 1960 yeah. but either way that, and that's a takeaway for your point Okay, maybe it was like, but he still, he went on to bigger and better films after 2001 I think a lot of people could argue or conceivably just as good. Steven Spielberg did science fiction early in his career, Twilight Zone, Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Um, and then he went on to do even better films. To me, I'm excited to see what does Nolan do after this. All right. I'm excited for that, too. I'm not excited about this movie at all. <laughs> this movie, as soon as I left it, I was... I was glad to be forgetting it it is not it was not on par with the last three or four science fiction movies that I've seen I I don't think it was of now still a great I I still great admirer of Nolan Mm -hmm. I might argue that this is his worst film but I haven't seen following in a while I did rank them recently Mm -hmm. and it, it was near the bottom it was it was after I like the Dark Knight Rises is uh, better. I just had a better experience at the theater and at you know with the movie. So I don't know. I, I, I the movie did not really appeal to me on on any real level <laughs> at all. It didn't hit me visually. It didn't hit me emotionally. It did it hit you visually. To, See, that's something I can well, take you to task on. Now, I do think the visuals in this movie were very impressive. I was so out of it after the first 45 minutes that when they finally got to the part where it was interesting, the visual part of it, I had I had fallen into the deep abyss of... <laughs> you checked out. <laughs> I had, and now, it wasn't Avatar. I, I wasn't hating every minute. In fact, I, there were parts that I enjoyed, and I was interested, just like I was anticipating seeing the movie overall, I was interested to see what he would do next. Because I had nothing. I had no... I knew Matthew McConaughey was in it, and based on the title, I knew that they were going into the stars. So, and then I think I heard a blurb somewhere, he's going to save humanity, which, you know, okay, good. I'm on. I'm on board. I was on board going in, so I didn't have any real... I wasn't pre-programmed not to like it like I may have been with Avatar. I you wanted to like the movie. Yeah, because of the, the 3D thing. After the first five minutes of... Once the 3D image of Avatar went away and I wasn't able to recapture it, and then only sporadically by tilting my head here and there because I have the, you know, the visual, vision problem and I can't see 3D... Uh, it was a, it was a torture. It was it was re- literally like being tortured. It was like it was like, it was like 
it was like uh, what, what is the water torture, the drip torture, where they lay you flat and then oh, yeah, waterboarding. Yeah. <laughs> right, in between waterboarding and then just the just the old dropping. drop torture. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> this movie wasn't like that. This movie was better. But still, when I when I when I left it, I'm like, all right, whatever. Visually, when I went back last night and I grabbed screens of this um, from some specials and from the trailer and looking through those with you today, all of those shots are just interesting, inventive. I won't argue that the stills were better than the movie. <laughs> if that's the point you're trying to make. I just, I, I thought it was all wonderful. I thought the world he creates in there is completely believable. There weren't times where I was right. going. Hold on. Nope. Which world? The, uh, just the world of the film. The right. spacecraft was believable. These worlds, while they were fantastical. Okay. I thought they were interesting. They right. were original. Both of these worlds, I don't feel like I've seen them in other films. Uh, the robot helper. Mm-hmm. which looks like the monolith from 2001, mm-hmm. but it, it splits into parts and right. can cartwheel. Well, no one said... Stuff. It was a very original robot idea that I'd never seen before, and it's hard to create an original-looking robot. Uh, robots and John Lithgow were the two best parts. Of- <laughs> <laughs> uh, Nolan said at Comic-Con that he was embarrassed to explain how many people he ripped off for this movie in terms of his uh, influences. And then people laughed. He's like, no, it was a complete ripoff. And then, you know, people didn't think it was serious, but he, he kind of doubled down on that. He's Not that he ripped him off. I think he's paying homage to it. Now, Quentin Tarantino's come out as a big fan of this movie. He says it's awesome. He says it's, uh, it's what he wishes he were able to do, but he's not able to develop the argument without cursing and and... Not not in terms of making films, right. but in terms of trying to talk to somebody. He says that this guy's film, making movies on film, and he's doing it in such a way that he's elevating the art form. So yeah, I mean, this doesn't feel like gimmicks with CGI. Yeah. So are you surprised at Tarantino's comments? No, because I think that the, most filmmakers love this movie. Most of most of your upper tier filmmakers really like Brad Bird. Came out and uh, I mean I think I read Scorsese really liked it. You know Spielberg was originally attached to it. Is well, Jonathan is the screenwriter, co-screenwriter Jonathan Nolan's Christopher Nolan's brother wrote a uh, the original screenplay was for Spielberg. Mm. I would argue that this movie is too much of Spielberg still in it. That's part. That's part of the, the that whole first forty five minutes. I didn't buy any of it. And I don't think that there were enough payoffs later on in the film. Like that scene in the school at the very beginning, Matthew McConaughey is talking about his daughter's troubles. When school. he's sitting with the two stereotypes. Yeah, I thought that was an interesting scene, but we never go back to it. It, it has no effect on the rest of the film, mm, except because like they have. Can we spoil the scene? Well, I don't know. Let's let's see before we get into any kind of spoilers. Let's see if there's anything else you want to say about it. Dude, I'm not. I'm not in a. Uh, I would recommend the movie. So, but I do want to say this. Of and and well, I'll go back to it. Is there anything else you want to say about it? about that scene or about the movie? About the movie in general. Before we get into any kind of spoilers. Oh no, I can talk about other stuff with the film. I, I just that scene sets up an interesting idea, and you're not sure where the film's going. All right. Right. Is that vague enough? But. All detailed right. enough? Sure. All right. One of the school teachers. I'm going to attack that in, in spoilers. When we, okay. We, but before that, I want to tell you that the movie, the, the last four or five science fiction movies that I've seen that I think are better than this, Gravity, I think was a better movie going experience. Uh, the Live, Die, Repeat, Edge also known as Edge of Tomorrow, was a better movie going experience for me. Looper. Time travel movie, science fiction. For me, a better movie-going experience and a tighter movie. Had some problems, but I would still put... And and I might even argue Oblivion, although it has some really weaknesses in the middle of the movie, towards the end. I would say that those four movies, 
I had a better time watching than slogging through the hundred and you know the, the two hours and fifty minutes of uh, of Interstellar. That's the only point I was going to make. I, I don't know if you how you would rank those movies, and if if Interstellar for you or you, I don't know if you've seen all of these, no, Mister no. D, but if if is Interstellar still at the top? For the movies that you have seen, or is it even at the top? Did you think this was better than Gravity? No, I, I like Gravity better. I would put Gravity above this one, but I, but the other ones you mentioned, I, I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure. I, I still, I, you know, from from a, a real a real newbie way of looking at these kinds of things, I just I, I look at a story, okay. know, and I and I thought the story was I thought it was well told. I thought it was it it. it didn't leave a lot of holes, you know, for you to fill in yourself. I thought, I thought so. Maybe I felt it just it was it was easy to 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 go along with what was being you know yeah. shown on the screen. So I thought I thought it was a good story. I thought it was a good film, uh, but I, I do think Gravity was a, a better show. What about you, Mister Two Frames? Uh, What's your take? Gravity, I put ahead. I agree with Mister Daring about it's a good story, and I think it's impressive that. With a $160 million budget, it's going to be a CGI fest. You could still tell a good, compelling story, and no one's saying the acting wasn't very good. You know, wait, really, wait. In, in this movie? In this movie. No one's saying the acting wasn't really good? Yeah, I thought the acting All was right, no, great. No one is saying that. Yeah, no but Except for me. You didn't like the acting? Yeah, we, we can wait till spoilers. <laughs> Okay, I, mean, I, I thought it was 160 million dollars. I thought it was 300 million dollars. Probably when you put in the advertising budget. You know, Ch- uh, Man's Chinese Theater, the famous theater in LA, they put in a IMAX screen just for this movie, and to retrofit it, it cost them 600 thousand dollars simply for this movie, including all the Dolby's, you know, whatever surround sounds and stuff. That's it's pretty impressive. I'm just saying this was a by definition, this is a popcorn film. But when you watch the movie, it has heart, it has a story, it is high concept in a lot of ways, and it can be an award-winning film. All right. And I don't think you often see that with these so-called popcorn films. Again, I give a lot of credit to Nolan. Popcorn film, popcorn Um, stale. Those other films you mentioned, some of those directors I like more, and they are being interested with big projects. Uh, I don't like Looper as much as you do, but Rain Johnson, the director of that, he's uh, doing the eighth Star Wars film. Right. And I'm interested to see what he does with it. It's Ryan, though. Ryan. No, I'm going to call him Rain. <laughs> you don't like him uh, taking your name from you? Yeah, right. <laughs> he should change his name. Why do they call him Rain? Because you're thinking of Rain Wilson. And he spells it with an I. Okay, maybe that's It's it. your mild dyslexia. <laughs> <laughs> mild <laughs> alright on that note uh, so everyone recommends it me certainly less so than mm-hmm. others but I have big problems with it alright and uh, so let's begin with spoilers let's say c- can you say anything bad about it <laughs> Mr. 30 well if we're into the spoiler area I thought the I thought the black hole Situation at the uh, as he's trying to punch his way through and 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 do the uh, the Morse code tap tap tap. Mm-hmm. Well, so that's a big spoiler. Well, anyway, yeah. but uh, but it was it was uh, it was a little it was a, that was that's where it kind of went kind of right. off off kilter a little bit for me was that whole that whole sequence where he's trying to break back and give the information so that they can save the uh, save the uh, save mankind. That was right before the. First of seven endings in the movie. All right. <laughs> no, I, <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah, Cooper, the, I, I the character goes the, into the, the test. The final act is a bit weak, but do any science fiction movies have good final acts that aren't convenient? Well, I think Looper. Well, I don't think it was, and that's a time travel movie. I don't, I don't think it has that same kind of issue. It actually folds back in on itself. So you're saying that, they, that, that in, in most situations, they've got to find a way to wrap it up, and, and no matter what they're going to do, plausibility is going to be an issue. Oh, yeah. I mean, Harrison yeah, Ford, we love him in movies, but generally his character has nothing to do with the outcome being positive. <laughs> Whether it's the Indiana Jones movies where 
if he wasn't there, the Nazis still get defeated every time in Raiders of the Lost Ark or um, in uh, uh, Blade Runner. Right. The people he sent to kill would still die because they time out anyway. All right, so we are in spoilers, just so everyone knows. We're going to spoil every movie we've ever watched. <laughs> Sorry, I have like 30 years plus to watch these. I just, I mean, we, we overlooked those endings. And we go, it's fine. We've I think we're willing to overlook them because of the experience. I'm not willing to with Interstellar because the experience wasn't, it didn't Well, it's also, how do you understand that ending? There are some people arguing at the end of Interstellar, He's dying. All right, which ending are you talking about? Because as soon as he so, goes into the black hole and he sees his children. Oh, you mean after children. he steals the spaceship? Oh, no, oh, before he steals the spaceship. Yeah. Okay, all right, sorry. As soon as he goes into the black hole, some people argue this is when he dies. Everything mm-hmm. else Because of that one follow. line that says the last thing you see are the faces of your, your children. children. yeah. Right. But you he, could argue, and it's the same thing. You can do the same thing with Inception. You love that idea that the last half hour of Inception is. I tell you what, this made. movie would have elevated itself far beyond where it wound up if they had ended with him floating in the Tesseract in the black hole. If it had ended there, a most unsatisfying ending for most moviegoers, if it had ended with that ambiguity, I would have been much happier with the film. He he tried to tie everything up in a neat little bow. Every single storyline they tried to come back to, and at every point at the end, right as soon as he went into that black hole, Everything after that was horrifying. It was, it was stupid. It was everything was inane and but if at and the very end he spins a top that wobbles slightly. Well, everything was leading up to that. Well, that's that's the exclamation point at the end of a good sentence. I'm telling you, this is the first letter of the of a really bad sentence. <laughs> <laughs> so, but we're left with no ambiguity at the end. I would argue this is exactly what Inception does until the very end, spinning top of the wobbles. Well, no, because there's multiple readings in the ending of Inception. I don't really know if there are multiple. Unless you're trying to twist it, there aren't really multiple readings of Interstellar. Did it occur to you that after he goes into the black hole that he's not rescued and they find him on Cooper Station? Did it ever occur to you, Mr. 30? No, not at all. And did they occur to you while, now be honest, while you were watching it, were you thinking, mm, there's multiple readings here. I'm supposed to believe that this guy wasn't rescued, maybe. It's possible that he's still that floating he, about somewhere. That or that he died after Matt Damon cracked his faceplate and that everything else is a hallucination. This is what you were thinking while you were watching it? Not mm-hmm. while I was watching it, but I well, can go back and think of that. Right, but the movie that, doesn't. I don't think the movie wants you to. I don't. I don't think the movie wants you to do that. I think Nolan. The movie wants doesn't to, want you to think about it afterwards, and that the no, movie. No, I don't think it you. wants you to think that. I think the movie wants you to think about the idea that oh my God, they've saved the human race, and not only have they saved the human race, they've saved what all that encompasses the human race that was left on Earth, which was probably a small village in Iowa somewhere. They were able to take the entire human population up to space stations near a black hole somewhere, save the existing people on Earth who were all dying down there from malnutrition because the only thing they had to eat was corn. They take them all up. They save all them. I wonder where they're going to get new food. Are they just going to eat corn from now on? Just continue to eat nothing but corn? And drink bourbon. (laughs) Corn syrup, corn souffle, corn milk. It was corny. It was, it was quite corny. And uh, there were no Chinese people. There were no Brazilians. There were no Indians. For as large no- of the scale of the movie, it stays very tightly focused <laughs> on this one family. And some some ancillary individuals. Topher Grace shows up, for example. Yeah. Which was another, like, discordant note pounding in my ear. Oh, here we go. Here's this guy. No backstory, nothing. Uh, oh, I think she says, I have a friend who can check out your your daughter's cough. Mm-hmm. And the next thing you know, he's running out of a hospital room. Oh, this other really important character who we haven't dealt with in the last hour and a half, he's dying. And then all of a sudden she's, what is that relationship with Topher Grace? Is I think mostly he's there so she has someone to talk to. It's the same reason why Robin was written into the Batman series. We need someone Wait, for Batman to Nolan's talk to. Robin? No, no, just Batman in general. Oh, they gave okay. him Robin so that 
It's not just voiceover. Right. Okay. It, it does give Jessica Chastain someone to talk to. Okay. I'm not saying it's the best invention and that you couldn't have done that part a little better. As soon as Jessica Chastain, and I like her as an actress, as soon as she comes in to the story, the movie tails away. It goes back down to where it was in the first 45 minutes. So there's a 45-minute window of interesting stuff to look at, but then I was not... I can understand that the stuff set on Earth is a little boring in a space epic. That's not... That's boring. I didn't say it was boring. All right, the one. I'm if not you're really going to make to a movie notes. on a grand scale where we're going all over the galaxy. The stuff set in Iowa might be a little boring and not quite be as good as the rest of the film, is what I'm saying. All right, I don't disagree, but the only thing they have to eat is one field of okra <laughs> and 500 acres of corn, and as soon as you ooh, pretty plain, he wipes out. Three or four miles of corn. He just drives into the cornfield, wipes out the most important thing that's left on earth is this corn. How many people died as a result of him running over all that corn to chase after this? And and what was that? (laughs) What what purpose did the drones? He wanted the sure. What did he do with them afterwards? What purpose did that solar did, did him getting that, that that thing, that drone, what purpose did it serve in the movie? In the movie? Yeah. Why was it there? It, Except it, to it have shows him... his skill with electronics. You knew that from other things. You could see that from other things. You could see that he, he programmed all of his uh, harvesters, or what are they called? Uh, yeah. Not backhoes. Yeah. No, they're combines. Combines. He programmed all of his combines. He was the preeminent... Most important uh, farmer it also of our gave time. Him something to do with his children. All right. And it showed that he is a man obsessed with looking up. He doesn't look down, and he makes that point mm. that we are not a generation of farmers. We're supposed to be a generation of explorers who extend, who go further. And it, that scene metaphorically speaks to that. That he's constantly looking up. He doesn't care about what's down below his feet. <laughs> All right. It's an argument. <laughs> he had 20 minutes of them driving through this, this cornfield. and uh, Can we go back to something you'd said earlier? Sure. You said that there was too much Spielberg in this film. And I thought that was really interesting because while we were watching the film, one of the things I kept thinking about was Close Encounters of the Third Kind. Mm-hmm. When it was recently released, I think about three, four years ago, Spielberg said this about Close Encounters. And I thought this goes to a major theme of the movie. I would have never made Close Encounters the way I made it in 77 because I have a family that I would never leave. Um, That was just the privilege of youth. But though he's twice re-edited the movie in uh, 1980 and again in 1997, each time casting a more skeptical eye on Neary's abandonment of his family, the act of abandonment, abandonment still stands. And I think that that was a major theme in this film, leaving one's family and the importance of that. Right, but the stakes aren't high enough in this movie because this goes back to something you said earlier. Okay. You were interested to know what would happen next. I felt like I knew what was going to happen next at any given point. I'm not just saying this because I'm so brilliant and smart and blah, blah, blah. I just thought everything was telegraphed. When he said, when I see you again, we might be the same age. Of course, it's easy when it's punctuated by a Hans Zimmer boom. <laughs> but <laughs> oh, that's another part you didn't like. <laughs> no, no, the sound mixing and the sound and the music was that was a nightmare for me. Not, not a fan of the organ, uh, the organ music. I like Zimmer stuff when there is any semblance of subtlety, but <laughs> there's. What do you think? He is a former music teacher. Because you're probably better at this than me, who can't carry a tune to save his. I, I just thought it was it was interesting it was an interesting way to go about using well using that instrumentation I was I, I you know because um, growing up old Catholic mm-hmm. you know and being a music person in my early career you know uh, you think you think of, of cathedrals and you think of okay so is, so where's you know is is religion a theme here or does he just pick the organ because it was you know he likes the sound of them so I I had no idea if, if there was a, a conscious decision why he picked that particular medium 
or he could have done as well on a kazoo. Um, you know, so it, you know, <laughs> there were times when he was on a kazoo. Well, yeah. supposedly Zimmer wasn't shown a single frame of this film. He was given a one-page outline about what the story was about, the big ideas, and he was given something like two days to come up. What? With a score, and he played it for Nolan. And Nolan went, "Yeah, that's it. <laughs> we're going with that." All right. Wow. That sort of explains a lot. <laughs> What's the song variations on a theme? Is there a? There were no variations on this theme. No, you just got you kept on bouncing back from a loud, a loud, loud explosions and loud rocket sounds to the to the cathedral cathedral esque. You know, organ playing, and it's just like back and forth and back and forth. Yeah. And David Mix, and it's like, you know, is 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 the cacophony there for a reason? You know, is 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 the is the idea to to say what? And and I and I couldn't I couldn't other than the fact that it was nice music, you know, you know, the, it was very artfully done, skillfully done. I was like, okay, so this is this is what it is. This is it's what's here. But but no. but uh, but you're. You know the idea that, that they gave him a, a couple of pages and said go. Yeah. It was like you know it's it's like it's like it's it's it was it was it's nice side improvisational music composition for movies. So right. it's and I and I and I think music can tell a, a, a more it can be more a more integral part of the story. And I didn't see that here. I, no. I just didn't see it. Yeah, to me it seemed it, it seemed like it was pre-programmed schlock for whenever we need some certain sort of emotional response, let's hit this key or let's hit this note. So basically, the because the, we're in spoilers, the outline is this. Uh, cornfield, almost go over a cliff, launch into space, leave your, oh, sorry, leave your daughter, sad, sad, launch into space, Bad crap happens. Come back to your daughter through wormhole. Sad, sad. Uh, run off to find the girl that you're supposedly in love with, even though she looks like Ferris Bueller. Hooray. That's one of the best things I love. I, I love that about the film. I'm not sure where I'm supposed to laugh, but for me, there's a laugh. In that? Yeah, he spends all this time trying to get back to his daughter. He's so upset. Oh, I'm spending an hour on this planet. It's cost me 23 years with my daughter. Right? Huh. Words and words. I just want to see my daughter. Where's my daughter at the end when he's on the space station? Oh, she's coming. She's coming. Right. She's like 100. Gets here. He goes. He sees her. Holds her hand. He cries like two tears. And she goes, I got my family with me. Right. Uh, I've got my children. Later, Hosen. Go away. <laughs> and he's like, all right. <laughs> I've seen my daughter. I'm good. Aren't they his grandchildren? Oh, yeah. No one acknowledges him. He comes in the room. No probably, one's like. Probably his great-grandchildren. Well, Grandpa. Well, they were, they were her children. Some of them were her children. Some right. of his great-great-grandchildren. Yeah. yeah. You're one of the most famous men ever. And I'm Ellen Burstyn. No one's paying attention. <laughs> all right. Now, this is one That's of the places funny. where the original Spielberg script uh-huh. is better. Than what Nolan put out, and this is the ending of, or for that part of it. In the end, some other things happen. Eventually, he winds up back on Earth. It's, I think, two hundred and thirty years in the future, something like that. Somehow, it's it's a considerable amount of time in the future. His, he doesn't get to see his his uh, daughter, except through the Tesseract or whatever, or you know, video footage that she may have sent back. He's he goes to see his great 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 grandson or great whatever iteration it is who's dying and he can't speak for whatever reason the the grandson can't but of course cooper's 33 years old goes up to the to the guy they have this exchange he realizes that this is who he says he is because they found him in the black hole and through the time dimension he's able to come back to them he realizes his great great grandfather that he's waiting for and he reaches into the, his bedside table and hands Cooper the watch that they used to read the code that ostensibly saved all of humanity. It should be in the Smithsonian. <laughs> well, maybe she told people about it. Maybe she didn't. I don't know. Somehow this guy. But, I mean, maybe that is a Smithsonian. This guy's I'm drawer because there's only 100 people left, yeah, right? It's just it's part of the story of how we saved humanity. All right, so here, here is the linchpin. 
All it's right. in a drawer somewhere. So there's problems with that ending, too. Yeah. <laughs> I would say that's a better ending than the one that we got. Or one of the one of the ones that we got. <laughs> because then after that, he does steal a spaceship and go off to see Bran, who's been dead for 230 years. He thinks he could, like, go through these wormholes and find her. That And that that's... Come on. That's, that's, that's ridiculous. But anyway, I think that that's moot. That ending is a better ending. That's my opinion. I was thinking I could write a lot of things that were better. I like seeing Anne Hathaway there setting up this new colony. And... Right, but in well, the I don't think it's as satisfying that he goes after her. I think that there are other ways to say she's the only person left in the world that he possibly has a connection to at that point. Except for all of his grandchildren and great-grandchildren. He doesn't know them at all. all she right. is the only person still alive that he has gone through these experiences with that he has any. But when he's going to off with. to I see can her. See her. I can see him choosing to be with her. But when he's going off to see her, he is of the mind that she is still in love with Edmonds. She left him not being in love with him. Do you think he's in love with her at the end? Because I, I, I what know the motivation. He, would he have that she's a person that he is? Right, sure. You just explain that, but I don't agree. I, to I me, don't it, agree. It, I think if that, that character that was another dude, I could see him going just for that friendship, and just that that is someone that there is a shared history with. I, I think trying to shoehorn in a love story is clunky. I agree with you on that. You can see, I don't. I could see him leaving, getting in his spaceship and taking off and leaving. Mm-hmm. He doesn't necessarily need the motivation to go after her. Why does he need that target? It doesn't seem to me like it's a it's an effective. Well, I mean, there's nothing tying him to where he is. It's up right. to the that he had his ten second reading and with. And the idea that you probably can't steal, uh, you know, one of the two hundred spaceships that we may have been able to build in the last couple hundred years. Well, you'd also think that there have been other people going towards Anne Hathaway. If they have these spaceships that can get to her, that we would be sending reinforcements to help her set up this Well, where is she in the the time-space continuum? Because obviously she's his age still, but when he's found, it's 100 or, you know, 40 years later. So was it 40 years later for her? No, I want to say she, because she's gone through all of these um, events in space, due to the gravitation, changing the laws of relativity, or the the way time passes us by. It's all part of the theory of relativity. But she's, well, the theory of relativity, in the limited fashion that I understand it is, if you have two twins, you send one off into space, a certain amount of distance away from the Earth, they're going to age at a different rate mm-hmm. than the person that's back on Earth. And then uh, it's the twin theory, right? Yeah. Then when they get back to Earth, this one will have aged, you know, the equivalent of X number of years, although the time on Earth has not expired that much. So they're going to have different issues. I think that they're... I think that they were exposed again? to the same gravity for the most part, except when he gets sucked into the black hole and... He goes into and that then all bets are off, but then he's not he he's back on Earth. I mean, he's back on the facsimile of Earth. When he leaves her, he's at that space station. That's, he's that's, spit out back out of the wormhole. He's right outside the wormhole. They were about to go in it. They mentioned, but then that they she's on a planet. Huh? She she's on a planet somewhere. Yeah. I'm just saying that in terms of all the other time travel stuff that they dealt with, how one person lands on one planet because they're close to some wormhole. Now it's 23 years later when they come back up. My argument would be, no matter how much time he spends away from her, there's going to be that distance of time that when they finally reunite, because she's been on a planet and he's been wherever, when they finally reunite, unless he's able to go back in time, he's not ever going to be able to catch up to her. And then he's going to be going off to find this girl that's not going to probably not even exist. It's, they it's experienced all the fluctuations of time together until the very last minute when they're on the cusp of the black hole. Right, but And he falls into it, and he falls into it rather quickly. But he's on Earth. Uh, well, he's in the facsimile of Earth. Yeah. For a week. Okay. She's down on a planet somewhere. Yeah, that's still in that galaxy. She was going to just I fly the spacecraft off. Or something. No, 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 it was because there were three in there. They had visited two of them. Right. And she had always wanted to visit that first one with Edmonds and never gone there. 
she doesn't experience any other weird gravity that's going to shift time. All right. I mean, at most, she's like a year or two more. Okay. If he can make it to her. If he can make it. That would be even funnier. He runs out of gas. <laughs> the next three-hour sequel. Yeah. Inter- oh. Interstellar 2, Boogaloo. Interstellar. <laughs> like, so you don't want a sequel to this? No one won't do it. He's not making a sequel to this. He, he would have no reason to. I didn't say if he is. I'm just saying you don't no, want No, I like it. I, and I like big-budget standalone pictures that aren't beholden to franchises. And I appreciate that, but I don't think he gets a pass on this movie simply because of that. And a lot of people, I think, are willing to give him a pass because, A, he's working in film, B, he's trying, he has his grand vision, C, the visuals. I think it's just slight, I mean, there's, like, okay, I don't like to make criticism without being able to offer a point of rebuttal. I know that this would have pulled it more into the range of 2001, but a change that I think could have been interesting is if they had at least addressed artificial intelligence beyond the SARS character. Because the SARS character, the the robots were still under the control of of mankind. This is supposedly, I think, 2030 or something, or whatever it is. it's supposedly way past the point of where the singularity would have occurred and we would have been able to have a facsimile of artificial intelligence. To me, it would have been more interesting if the man character were some form of sentient being that wasn't necessarily a man and that the hero in the end turns out to be SARS, the the robot that's also a sentient being, but then it operates out of empathy for human beings, whereas the other one is only interested in self-interest. The other, whatever man character, the, the, the programmed robot that has developed an artificial intelligence and, and developed a sense of, uh, well, whatever the, the Matt Damon character mm-hmm. uh, espouses in that movie where he's, you know, self-preservation, as opposed to just being that being the, 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 a motivating factor for human beings. There can also be, or sentient beings, whatever. There could also be a, a robot who develops empathy and extends outward and saves all of human beings instead of just the whole But then don't you lose that idea. whole family storyline? Hmm, maybe, <laughs> I guess. I mean, the, the focus of a father and daughter. But I think you lost it general. early on when he doesn't care. Possibly. A lick about his son, and the, and his son is the only one that ever contacted him for twenty three years. That's the thing. There's two key points that they, they go back to back where I'm supposed to be emotionally invested in the movie. You mentioned acting. One is when they come, they go down to the planet. The guy dies. They come back up to the spa- to the orbiting spaceship, and they see Yasi. I think his name. That might be the actor's name. Whoever it is that's still orbiting, he's aged 23 years. They were down there for an hour. I didn't see it that big of a change in him. He's a little gray in the beard. But he's a little gray in the beard. He's a little bit older, a little bit slower. People that had a reaction to that were primed to feel an emotional response. I didn't have one at all. I was just like, whatever. <laughs> And then immediately following that, he finds out everybody on Earth's dying or die, dead or whatever. And then he gets all these videotapes of his ch- children contacting him. And then as he's watching it, um, he has this emotional catharsis. Not even catharsis because, there's, I mean, he's just an emotional wreck. And I think I'm supposed to have been an emotional wreck too. But I felt more sorry for the little red bouncing ball in the AMC. <laughs> In the AMC advertisement that got eaten by the bear. I don't know. I, I, I see your points about the children. I do think this movie has a lot of biblical references and ideas. You know, Matthew McConaughey is 33, same as, as Jesus. And from just doing the Bible, you know, it seems like some children are favored more by their parents, Jacob and Esau. 
in that one parent favors one child more, and they make it very clear that the son is more of the mother's child and the daughter has more to do with the father. Oh, the dead mother's child. Yeah, I mean, they, they make it very clear that Matthew McConaughey loves his son, but they are very different people. I, they are of two different minds. I think and to me that seems like Jacob yeah, and Esau. I think because, just on a, on a very peripheral way of looking at it, is that he aligned himself with his daughter because he saw that she, he at least felt that he she had some of the same interests and the same skills and the same passions that he did. That where he felt that his son was just you know they just they were just like night and day. They were just so different that there was not that that relationship. Whereas he felt that that you know that if anybody would carry on the family business, so to speak, it would be the daughter. Mm-hmm. So you you're fine with it. It didn't it didn't it wasn't a stumbling block for you that he didn't seem to give a rat's behind about his son. He. Died. I mean, the case could be made that he didn't care about either one of them because he took off on this trip for <laughs> right. Oh, yeah. That's a good point for years. So you know, it's uh, so I don't. I th- I think you know McConaughey's character felt that he had that 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 his responsibility to mankind was larger than the responsibility to that of his family, and so therefore you know, and 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 so the son so the son falls off because of that right away. He falls off because he's not the student and not the and not the uh, not the scientist, so to speak, that his daughter is. So you know, the son is strike two right away, and you know, pretty much is is pretty much the I'll cast the poor word, but he's definitely not the favorite child uh, that I saw, at least in the in, in, in the movie. But yeah. has McConaughey done a poor job raising his son? His son is able to function without him. And isn't that the goal of all parents? To raise children to be self-sufficient? Okay. I, I don't know. I think, uh, he, I, I think he saw his son was going to be the farmer. But I didn't think he's going to, he saw his son, that his son was going to be the engineer. That uh, and and the and the scientist that he was, but he saw those things in his daughter, and I think he he felt maybe that if there was anybody that was going to help him in his mission to save mankind, that it was going to be the daughter, and it wasn't going to be the son, because all the son was going to do is plant and grow enough corn that they'd have <laughs> plenty of yeah. corn on the table. But if he hadn't been it. there, then they wouldn't have been. He wouldn't have been able to rescue him. You mean in terms of? hypothetical suppositions mm-hmm. he would need to have he would he is just as integral to their to the survival of the race one could argue just given what we've seen in the film that his manufacturing or, or growing this corn over the 23 years while his dad was off traipsing through the galaxy did as much sure. to save maybe more but to it, save it, it helped them hang on so it helped him hang on yeah you needed that so I don't Anything else in that vein about the biblical stuff? Because I, I noticed a, I think I noticed a, an absence of God, like references to God. I don't think of that. I'm wondering if that's just a nod to the to the scientific world. Like yeah. they didn't, they didn't. Nobody really prayed. <laughs> you no. know, I mean, everything I think was very subtle. You so know, the, the spacecraft having the twelve pods on it. And again, you can see that's the twelve disciples. But then again, it's got to have some number of pods, and with almost any number, you can find some reference to the Bible. Right. You could so, have said, like, if it had ten, you would have said these are the ten commandments. Let's watch the film seven more times, and then decide. I won't watch it again. I don't think. I won't Ever? watch it again. I don't. I won't see a need to watch it again. Mm. I will see a need to watch Gravity again. Uh, you saw this ad in, uh, or is an article by. Jermaine Lucier in the Slash film cast. Um, new Gravity Blu-ray will have silent space version of the movie. It's just going to be a, uh, a retelling of it. The upcoming re-release of Gravity on Blu-ray supposedly is going to have a silent track that will give a sense of what it means or what the events in the movie would actually sound like in space. I thought they did that in a lot of the scenes. No, there's a score underneath it all. They should do this for Interstellar. <laughs> Sand score. I thought they put the score in the trailer and Arnold. Oh, so you're gonna was... so you're you're gonna argue with Jermaine Lucier who uh, wrote this article about the Gravity Blu-ray and the Silent Space version of the movie. I mean, maybe they're getting rid of um, Sandra Bullock breathing and screaming, and then there was like some vibrations I remember mm-hmm. 
in that like that initial scene when the asteroids are hitting the space station. I don't remember. I could be wrong. Well, I'm tempted to go back and rewatch it. I this, know there are other says, scenes that have music to them later on in the film, like that the final descent. Mr. Lucier writes, uh, it has to be different enough that it doesn't duplicate just hitting the mute button on your current Blu-ray <laughs> and turning on the subtitles. Uh, also, as unique as this feature may be, Price's score is so good, removing it would certainly remove some of what, make gravi- what makes gravity so emotional and exciting. He says, uh, this edition will ha- also have a full Dolby... Atmos sound mix, uh, something we know for a fact that the director Alfonso Cuaron worked on. Yet the silent space edition is expected not to be just a fun sidebar, where you can, f- for example, in the in the Blu-ray of Memento, you can watch it forward. Did you ever see Memento? No. It's mm-hmm. Nolan's first big budget, well, money in first movie that made money, full length film. Yeah, no, I, I've not. It's pretty I'll good. I'll have to dig that out. Well, he it deals with the time-space continuum in a different way. This guy has memory okay. loss, and it starts at the end, and uh, then everything goes backwards. <laughs> the movie's awesome, except there is one <laughs> linear progression. It's a side story that goes forward, and he shot he shot that in black and white. Okay. So yeah, <laughs> the rest of it goes backwards. Sure. Of course. Yikes. Yeah. Yes. It's pretty complicated. Hmm. Okay. I would argue that this movie wasn't that complicated. I would agree with you. Aside from the stuff where there's, you know, two two black holes, they do a pretty good job of explaining what what's going on in these instances. Yeah. So yeah. I, is I, that a negative? No, but I think I don't I don't think it's a negative, but it's as, it's a more linear film than Inception and, and more linear than Memento, clearly. I mean it's it's his most accessible film. I, I, I agree That's with you, not but I also that think that that is some great storytelling because there's a lot of exposition. There are a lot of very scientific, very complex things go- going on in the film that they have to explain to the audience, and they do a good job, and you don't feel like you're being lectured. Um, well, they do I would Inception, too. So it's uh, Inception, I feel like you get lectured a lot, and there are a lot of parts where I remember after we watched the film, we were going back and talking about it and making sure we had them right in our head. To me, this is a lot like Apollo 13. Apollo 13 does a great job of explaining really complex things to you. That scene where they say, we've got to take this sphere and turn it into a cube. Here are all the parts they have, and they dump out a box of parts. You understand this complex engineering problem visually in about five seconds. That's great storytelling. I just saw Apollo 13 uh, this summer. so I'd, I'd rewatch Apollo 13 again. Interstellar, not it, so much. Oliver, that's a great film. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not too interested. So Probably, I think Ron Howard's go, best film? Are you gonna go watch this again? Um no, I see myself going back and watching it. The problem this year since I've been on this kit to see as many movies as possible for the first time, I haven't gone back and rewatched stuff. Well you could you could fit in two movies the amount of time to see this. <laughs> like I really again. want to go back and watch Edge Tomorrow again, but I'm like, I got time to watch a movie. Gotta add a new one. You refuse to call it Live, Die, Repeat. It's such a stupid name. It is a stupid <laughs> name. It is such a stupid name. I don't know why it's... Plus, it's, I would call it Live, Period, Die, Period, Repeat. Isn't that what they called it? There's no period? But I would make sure to put in the punctuation as I Would you say put any ellipses or a comma <laughs> at the end of repeat? I don't think there is anything. Or is there an explanation point? I don't know. I haven't seen it. They say that it's actually done a lot better on... on uh, pay-per-view I think it's a film people will find and go wow this really was awesome I wish I'd seen it in the theater so will you watch well you have a pretty good setup at home you I think you have a pretty good video setup at home too Mr. not not like uh, Mr. Bull here would you be interested in seeing this again would I be interested in seeing this again um good story if I Found myself with a severe case of insomnia. Somebody would probably <laughs> fire it up again. <laughs> Not that it would put me to sleep, but at least it would fill a good chunk of time before I, uh, before I, you know, found found blissful rest. So I do think one of the interesting things this film did fifty million this weekend. And I think you were saying, yeah, that's not that great. Roland Emmerich's 2012 did better than that in its opening weekend. 
I think this movie will have legs. Um, we don't have a whole lot of box office. We're doing this the Wednesday after the film came out. Uh, apparently on Monday, it made over $5 million. Which is for a Monday? Without a... Really, really impressive. I was trying to look at other films I've done well was... in the fall season. Well, it was... It lasts like three months. Most things are making A lot of people didn't work on Labor Day, though, or on a Veterans Day. But that's that a Tuesday. Tuesday. Right. I don't know how it did on Well, then Veterans Monday Day. night. Yeah, it, it could be. I mean, I'd like to see how this movie holds up. If it can do four or five million during the week, that's another twenty million, and you figure it's going to almost double that. I think is the rule of thumb. It's at least one and a half times to two times what you do during the week. You'll do during the weekend. This movie could have some strong lights. Foreign, it's already made eighty-three million, so it's almost made back its initial budget. I can see this ending up around 500, 600 million, which is a successful film. And for it not being a sequel, having no chance of a sequel, no video game tie-in, no toy tie-in, that's impressive. Well, that's that's his M.O., though. No one doesn't... <laughs> that's a great M.O. to have. Oh, sure. I, I don't... I'm not discounting any of that. I'm not just being a curmudgeon. I'm not... This is an affectation. Oh, wait, wait, wait. It's my I, honest I, response. Okay, I do have the curmudgeon question to ask you. And yeah. I think I've already asked you. I'd love to get Mr. Darian's response to All this. Right. But when we were driving back, I said, do you think this is the movie that could inspire the next generation of space travelers, the next generation of astronauts? Is it possible in 30 or 40 years they're interviewing the first astronauts to go to Jupiter? And they said, when did you decide you want to be an astronaut? He goes, well, my parents took me to see Interstellar. Because there have been, the current generation of astronauts have talked about 2001, Star Wars, stuff like that, inspiring them. And I asked you this question, do, do you remember what your response was? No. <laughs> <laughs> no hesitation. <laughs> nope. <laughs> no, I don't. I don't, I, but then again, I did qualify that afterwards, and I said, if you're prone, if you're going to be a, an astronaut, then you're going to be the best of the best anyway. So... As a 10-year-old, you might be interested in boring movies that have no real storyline and uh, collapse in upon himself with hideous redundancies and obnoxious uh, you know, emotional points that now, fall I've had a handful fun. of students who've seen this film, and some of them I would never have paid as you're the one that would go. A lot of them were dragged to the theater by their parents. No one has had a negative opinion of this film. Last year with Gravity, which nope. I was over Wait, the moon about. No one? None of my students. Oh, okay. I was over the moon about Gravity. I went on and on about it. A couple of kids had seen it. They are like, nope, didn't like it. Man. Boring is what they said. And I was shocked. This film, which I don't think has as much action as Gravity, all of the kids have enjoyed it. Well, there's a and fight. I, and, I mean, grand small sample size. Oh, there, yeah, the fist fight. There's a fist fight. And that immediately... Immediately, when there's two dudes fighting, they're like, ooh, wow. And they are doing stuff. I mean, there is a rescue, and it's it's not as, it's not as ponderous. Well, it's ponderous. It's, it's really ponderous. The best 45 minutes of Interstellar as standalone segments, I would rank up there with the best stuff in Gravity. But taken as a whole, I think Gravity is is a better movie but that doesn't you he, I didn't let you answer his question do you think Interstellar is going to inspire the next batch of astronauts I don't think so I, I, I don't think so hmm. um, I, I think <laughs> I'm winner I'm winner, winner chicken finger. Um, no I as as a story I liked it but as as, as an inspiration mm-hmm. for younger people not so much. I mean, and, um, and <laughs> I, I, I think there, there's some of the, some of the holes that you talked about earlier in the story that were you know plausibility situations. Even though you know the future will tell us you know what what will, will you know become of some of those ideas. Um, Email you in forty years, uh, winner. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, no, but I just I no I don't I don't see it I don't see it I don't see a, a sixteen year old seventeen year old kid sitting in that movie going 
it's got to be the next you know guy to, to save the save the earth and to figure yeah. out the black hole thing and to uh, communicate through that hole to in order to to go you know, and space travel. Space travel can't send a selfie through a through a black hole. <laughs> I don't know. I, I'm just I'm hopeful, and you know, as we're recording this just a couple hours ago. We landed a satellite on a comet, true. a 10-year mission, and there is a short film starring uh, the guy who plays Littlefinger on Game of Thrones. Um, you can go find it on the web, and it just says, you know, this is the moment. This is the moment we go back to where, you know, it all starts. And I, I don't know. I have this romantic I mean, idea about I mean, space travel and that we might be on the cusp of something great. See, I don't, I don't, here's the deal. I think if you look at the idea of what inspires people to do these great things, you look, you look for a hero. And I'm not so sure McConaughey's a real hero in this oh, film. Uh, okay. I'm, I'm not. I'm not seeing him being the person you want to emulate necessarily. Even if he was driving Lincoln's before because he the, got paid to, to drive a Lincoln. <laughs> because the last, the last thing he does is steal a spaceship. That's the, that's the last action yeah, that he takes grand, is, is grand, stealing grand something. Grand theft spaceship. Grand theft spaceship, man. Yeah, I don't know. It's just, I just, I don't, I don't. I don't know. Do you, do you see Matthew McConaughey being the, the kind of a person that I never saw Matthew McConaughey being a great actor? And in the last like three years, I've done this complete one eighty on. Okay, it. so you you uh, okay? Well, then I good. mean that's the whole thing. That's he good. used to be Mister Matthew McConaughey, hey hey, <laughs> and he was just the surfer dude playing the bongos, getting arrested by the police. You know. Well, I I don't think his acting in this was so great. I thought it was fine. Uh, I mean. Serviceable for the it's, story. It's part, it's, to tell is is you know to tell a story. Absolutely. I Who would you have plugged you in okay. there? If, I, if honestly, you had power I, of I think I would have liked Matt Damon. I think I would have liked to see Matt Damon. I would have liked to see the cameo be Matthew McConaughey, and Matthew Matt Damon follows this trajectory. The thing I love most about Matthew or Matt Damon being this astronaut who's all by himself on the planet is that in. Two years or so, we get to see Ridley Scott having him star in The Martian, which is a novel that's very popular right now and apparently very scientifically accurate. Oh, I thought you were going to say Ben Affleck will show up. No, no, no. He, uh, it's Matt Damon. I don't remember who's going to be the female lead. And they've got... Who was the head of NASA... Or no, I'm sorry, it's Jeff Bridges. It's going to be the head of NASA okay. who he's in communications with. And apparently the book is fantastic. All right. it, it's on the top of my list. I've been trying to track down the audio version uh, because I've heard that is so much better. Um, I heard Adam Savage of Mythbusters. Highly, highly recommend the book. I could, uh, I can get into me some, I can get me into some Martian because I'm, I think I'm off the interstellar train. <laughs> this, honestly, this podcast was my favorite part. Of the whole experience, isn't it always? No matter what the film, maybe. I don't know. It was highly enjoyable. Is it, uh, anything else you want to add? No, I think no, we can go. We're good. This is a. Um, this has been. Well, do we want to pre? We have an oh, idea for this our is next actually, podcast. Yeah, the next podcast. This this might interest you. Uh, this is, is our, definitely one that we'd like a group to be. Yeah, our uh, our list of shame. And it's, it's, it would be the, the movies that we are ashamed to admit we have not seen. Now, for me, uh, and I'm not going to preview anything out there, but I think it's going to be a surprising list. Well, I think that's what makes it wonderful. Because yeah. there sometimes people bring up those films and you just kind of nod your head like, yep, uh-huh, <laughs> I'm not going to add. You're absolutely right. I, I agree now, because you don't want people to know. Yeah, I never got to that one. Mr. Bull and I have sort of a reputation. So, about, you know, people think of us as being movie guys, you know. They have mm. questions about movies, they'll come to us. That's right. So our, our list is going to be, I think, a little bit different. But if you were, what do you, off the top of your head, is there any movie you're ashamed to say you haven't seen? Because you're not necessarily a movie guy. No, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not in the, uh, the, uh, the level that you guys are uh, are. In at, at this point in time, um, <laughs> uh, Raging Bull. Ooh, you haven't seen Raging Bull? <laughs> How is that even possible? <laughs> yes, I've yeah, been, that's I've the been, reaction that, that uh, that's right. Um, I, I think was that post produced in the black and white? 
I believe so. It's a pretty violent movie. Okay. Ooh. I don't think that that's part of your tendency, but uh, yeah, I, yeah, I would recommend Raging Bull. Okay. On an afternoon, I, what would you put first, Re- Raging Bull or Me- Memento? Which I, I can't honestly. I think coming off do of Interstellar because. Oh. Maybe there's some stolen thunder. <laughs> oh my god! Wow. I, I I've seen parts of Raging Bull, and, okay, and, and I've watched a lot of stuff on it. And yeah, and you haven't seen any of Memento. I've seen no. I've seen Memento. Oh, okay. I've seen Memento. I've seen a Saturday Night Live skit about it. So. Um, on Memento or Raging <laughs> Bull? Raging Bull. I I, I think I've that, seen that. That's on my list of movies to correct at some point. But yeah. All right. Well, there's a little preview wow, that, for you. That's a good tease. <laughs> good tease. <laughs> So, uh, yeah, if you come up with your own list of shame, you can compare it to ours. And uh, for Mr. 30 over there, and uh, Mr. Two Frames over there. I love this. I'm the L-Train. Pox at Bonham, everybody. Yeah.